Good to see everybody this morning, first Sunday of February, and we are excited, looking forward to all that God has in store for us this week. I want to encourage our men to make t- plans to be here for the uh, breakfast at 6.30, right across the street this Tuesday at Chick-fil-A, and uh, hopefully it'll get you encouraged and uh, get some good fellowship and uh, ready for the week that God has for us this week. Uh, Mark chapter 12 this morning, Mark chapter 12, we're going to focus on a a key passion passage of uh, Mark chapter 12. We're going to be wrapping up this series on the gospel of Mark on uh, Easter Sunday, April the 9th. Some of you are wondering if it's ever going to end. I was talking to my dad yesterday, I said, you know, when you're preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible, I said... Uh, you get really excited as you are starting a new series. I said, then somewhere along the middle, you kind of have to re-energize the people. And I said, when you get towards the end, uh, I'm not sure if I'm more excited about finishing or if maybe you're more excited about me finishing. But uh, it's awesome just to see how the, the Word of God does not return void. It speaks to our hearts. It challenges. If we'll allow it this morning, it will change even the hardest heart uh, as we allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. And so Mark, uh, uh, we'll finish up Mark chapter 16 on Easter Sunday as we study the resurrection. And over the next few Sundays, uh, some of our texts will cover uh, word verse by verse. Uh, some of it will be handled through some of our social media posts. We'll be sharing some different slides and ways to apply uh, the word of God as we work through these final few chapters of the gospel of Mark. And so be on the lookout for those uh, posts over the next two or three weeks. And in the context of this passage this morning, Jesus is in Jerusalem just a few days before the resurrection. And and the religious leaders there had been trying to trick Jesus. And they're asking him different questions to try to trick him up or trip him up in his his, uh, responses. And so uh, they're trying to incriminate him in some way. But Jesus is too smart for that. Finally, someone asked a question, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28 this morning. It says, as one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, Mark 12, 28, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Does this not sound like one of our kids, those of you that have parents, or parents that have kids, like they're trying to figure out. Which one is do I have to pay? Which one of mom and dad's rules do I have to pay attention to? And which ones can I overlook or skip? All right. So if you ever wonder, our kids are constantly pitting one against the other. They'll come to dad and say, Dad, can I stay out till X whatever time? And and I said, What did your mom say? Well, she said to go ask you. And I said, Hold on, and we're going to get our heads together, and we're going to be on the same page, and we're going to make sure that we give them the same answer. Kids do that. And if they haven't done that to you, maybe you've not been paying attention close enough, but they're going to constantly try to, to pull a fast one on you. Jesus said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is what, church? One. All right? There's only one God. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What's he saying? He's given them some, uh, some uh, admonition about what the most important things are. And he says, he says, and the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as yourself, as oneself, is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. 
When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, he says, you're not far away from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's, here's the setting. It's the, the last week of Jesus' life. He's just cleared out the temple. He's chased out the money changers. As a result, the enemies of Christ unleashed a, a, a barrage of hatred uh, towards him. And after disposing of the Pharisees, the Herodians, uh, the Sadducees, all of these that were, that were trying to trip him up, Jesus saw this man who was, he answered him well, and which means admirably or beautifully. The title scribe here describes the, this work. These men, he says, they were the people who were writing out the Holy Scriptures. They were copying the Scriptures for others to read. And they were called teachers because they taught the Torah to young men. In addition, they were known as lawyers since they often ruled on disputes. And it's the first time since Jesus arrived in Jerusalem that a solitary individual comes up to him. And in addition, they were known, uh, they were well respected amongst the Jewish uh, rabbis, the Jewish uh, culture and, and society. And so, as this scribe had a question, he says, Which commandment, Lord, is the most important? He wants to know which one carries the most weight, and it's, it was often debated question amongst religious leaders of that day, and they like to count and categorize the commands of, of Jesus, and arguing which ones could be blown off, which ones had to, had to be kept. If I were to ask you this morning, how many commandments are there? I ask you in this crowd, maybe you might say, well, Pastor, I know there's ten, at least 10, 10 commandments. If you asked them in that day, how many in the first century Jews how many laws are there, commandments are there? They would say 613. Imagine trying to keep that many laws. And the, the, as they counted, there were 248 that were positive. Do this. Do that. But there were 365 negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. So you can imagine uh, it was like... Uh, they had a, a don't a day keeps the devil away. Literally, they, we use it in American culture, an apple a day. But in their, in their context, a don't a day keeps the devil away. And they were, had all these rules of things that they could live or live, should not live by. As Dr. Seuss put it, sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are simple. The answer that Jesus gives us this morning is simple. It summarizes the entire teaching uh, of scripture he says love God and love your neighbor all right get that this morning if you miss anything this morning don't miss this love God and love your neighbor keep the main thing the main thing how often do you and I somehow miss the main point of the message how often do we miss the main point of, of scripture and what Jesus wants us to listen to what he wants us to to, to understand and to, to glean and to grasp from the word of God. And so keep the main thing, the main thing. Notice that this is the time uh, Jesus doesn't answer a question with a question. He does that often throughout his New Testament ministry. But his answer is immediate and it's direct in verse 29. He says, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. The top priority, the, the, the most important command Jesus quotes is the Shema, which literally means to hear. He says it comes from the first word of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Shema. He's saying, Israel, the greatest commandment starts with listening to what the Lord has to say. Understanding what he has to say. He might say, maybe saying, listen up. 
I want you to hear this. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. The Shema is the declaration of faith. It's a pledge of allegiance to our God, the one true and living God. It was said that arising in the morning to they would go at bed at night, Jewish people would be praying and listening to the, the, the words of the Lord. It was the first prayer of a Jewish child when they were taught to pray. It was the last thing that a Jew would pray prior to their death. Having traveled to Israel a few years ago and, and seen the importance that prayer plays in the, in the Jewish culture and life, uh, it puts us as Christians to shame because so often we put such little uh, attention on prayer and talking to God and communicating with God and yet they pray for hours on, on end and it's something that consumes them and even young children are, are praying and they have books of prayers and, and then we would, went to the, 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 the wall there and they were in little rooms and they were reading out these prayers and praying them and reciting them over and over and over and folks, somehow we don't have time to put down our phone and actually talk to God. Put down our phone and Turn off all of the noise around us and say, God, I want to hear from you. Lord, I want you to speak to me. God, I want you to challenge me through your word. And so notice Jesus goes right to scripture. He establishes three truths. He says, first, God is powerful. The word, the word Lord is Yahweh, the self-existent one. The name God is Elohim, the creator. And it's, it's in plural form, which is ev early evidence of the Trinity he goes on, he says, not only is God powerful, God is personal. God is personal. He is mine. He's my, my God, my Lord, my Savior. He, Warren Roosby points out, Jesus' uh, answer reveals that we are to live not by rules, but by relationships. God desires not for us to follow 613 commandments or even 10 commandments. He wants us to have a personal relationship with God. So he's getting to the heart of the matter he says God is personal he wants to challenge us he wants to change us but also we see God must be preeminent in our lives Yahweh is unique the Lord is one we could render it the Lord is our God the Lord alone the Israelites are about to enter into the the a land with four, more than 40 people groups filled with polytheism with pantheism and in the midst of all of this pluralism he doesn't want them to forget that there is only one God. There's only one true God that we serve. And that's a good word for us this morning as, as followers of Jesus. The answer that Jesus gives is twofold. He says, no, go back to the question. He says, what is the most important commandment? What is the most important thing that we need to follow as followers of Jesus? And he says, love God with all that you have. Love God with all that you have. He's saying, this is the most important thing. If you miss everything else, love the Lord your God. What's he saying? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, verse 30, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all the strength. And the phrase is, and you shall love. It's the language of the law. It's a command that actually is a future imperative. It can be translated, you will love. You will love. As you go throughout this life, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's something that is a, a present imperative. Love is more than a feeling. Love is mainly an action, and it's not primarily 
and emotion. And Jesus could have used multiple different words for the word love. Here in our passage, uh, there's four different Greek words for love. Eros, which refers to a romantic love. And let me just put a little plug in there. We have nine days until Valentine's Day. And if you're planning on getting a, a gift or a card or flowers or doing dinner, I mean, uh, dads, you have this parents' night out, take advantage of that, all right? Uh, sign up, sign your kids up and take the wife out. Somebody in China uh, let go of their balloon by accident. They already got it early and filled it up and, and it disappeared and we had to shoot that thing down. I mean, well, go, go U.S. military, right? But anyway, um, I'm getting, I digress on that. But anyway, all of this happens by the balloon by the whatever by the go don't but don't just do it on valentine's day do it every day do it make an opportunity to make much of your spouse and let them know how much you care but ladies uh don't make it so difficult I, i've mentioned before we don't do vague we don't do subtle guys i mean it's just better if you put it in black and white clear text us a link to your wish list or whatever it is but don't make it so complicated but there's another word, uh, a store, which means uh, love of things. Phileo is love between brothers. But the, the verb that Jesus uses is agapeo, which is, speaks of a never-ending, unchanging, unconditional, all-consuming love that is loyal. Love is to be comprehensive. The word all is used four times, and it literally means the entire the whole. What is he saying? He says, we're to love the Lord our God with our whole being. Everything about us ought to fall in love with God. And God's whole, wholehearted love for us cannot be answered with a half-hearted commitment from us as followers of Jesus. By describing the heart, soul, mind, and strength, no area is left out. He says, we're to love him with everything we have. It's a devotion that comes from the heart and with passion in our soul, with thoughtfulness in our heads, with, with, with passionate energy through our hands and our feet. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 24, we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. God's limitless love for us should drive out all the lukewarmness that we may have for God. And if God does not have all of our heart, he'll soon not have any of our heart. And it was a quote I read earlier this week from Charles Spurgeon. It says, if Christ is not all to you, he's nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. He says if he is something, he must be everything. And if he's not everything, he is nothing to you. How do we, how's our love for God this week? How's our love for God? How does it rank in importance all the things that we do in our lives and uh, our, my, uh, my wife and kids and I, we often joke about how much screen time and how much time you've been on your phone this week or your iPad, and, and we'll look up and compare notes, and uh, I'll be honest, there's been times I've been embarrassed, and there's times they're like, man, you were on your phone more than I was today, and, and I'm sitting here thinking, you're on your phone all the time, but you know, the reality is just how do we rank God in importance in demonstrating our love for him, but not only loving God, with all our being, love your neighbor as yourself, verse 31 says. True to form, Jesus goes back to scripture. This time in verse 31, he's quoting from Leviticus 19, verse 18. He says, the second is this, you shall love your who, church? Your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. The people standing there that day, 
They didn't see this one coming because they in no way would relate this to loving God with all of their being. There's these two commands before they had never seen them linked together in this way. And no rabbi had ever said the sum of scripture is to love God and to love others. This was new territory. It was something that was earth shattering. Notice again the gapeo love is the word that Christ used. We're to love our neighbors not with a brotherly love. He says with an agape love. A limitless, unconditional love. We're to love our neighbors with the same kind of love that we have for ourselves by giving others the same attention that we give to ourselves. Believer's Bible commentary puts it like this. He says, we're to love God more than ourselves and our neighbor as ourselves. So he says, thus the life that really counts is concerned first with God and then with others. In other words, the heart of the book of Leviticus is a book that deals with laws and sacrifices. We see the call to love our neighbor. It's so vital. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What's he saying? He says it's so important that we understand our relationship with God and our relationship with others around us are intertwined. It's part of a relationship that we have. And in Leviticus 19, we see the call to care for others linked 16 different times with the identity of God. So since he is Lord, he says, I must love him and I must love those whom he loves. We must have a love for our fellow men. We must love our neighbors. We must love all of those around us with an unconditional selfless love. His self-declaration of who he is creates within me an obligation to love him and to love others. If I'm not obeying the second commandment, then I can't obey the first commandment adequately. He says those two are, are linked they're, they're inseparable. He says, I am to love God and I'm to love my neighbor. And if I don't love my neighbor, then therefore I don't love God. He says, you can't have one without the other. We must keep the order straight. Our priority is to love God. But he says, proceeding from that, we are to have a love for others. So Jesus then states, there's no other commandment greater than these. Isn't it interesting that... Though this man asked for the greatest commandment, Jesus actually gave him two. <laughs> he was hoping to narrow it down to what's the most important. And God said, well, let me give you the first two because you can't have one without the other. As you learn to love God, you will learn to love the people that God loves. Have a heart of compassion, love for those that are around us. And he did so because loving others is the practical outworking of loving God. And yet, he uses the singular commandment. He says, to show these two commandments are integrally related. He says, therefore, they cannot be separated. The main thing we do is to keep the main thing the main thing. If you think of the Ten Commandments, loving God encompasses the first four of the Ten Commandments. But loving others is the last six. He says, as we learn to love God... Our overflow is learning to love those others around us. And folks, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I believe in the King James it says, 
on these hangs all of the, the prophets. So what happens is, it's the most important thing, it is learning to love God and learning to love others. It's pretty easy to say that we love God. But it's quite another matter to say that we love our neighbors. I like the honesty of one guy. He said, to love the world to me is no chore. My big trouble is the guy next door. Someone else remarked, to dwell above with the saints we love will be grace and glory. But to live with the saints we know, well, that's another story. Sometimes the hardest people to love are the people that are right around us. Sometimes, think about it, sometimes loving your own family member is a challenge. Anybody else have that same? Sometimes loving the person sitting next to you is a challenge on the best of this. You better not raise your hand. But the reality is that sometimes those are the hardest people to love. They're the hardest people to minister to. It's the hardest people because sometimes they're the ones that know you the best. Someone else, as folks, we think about the, the, the reality is they were debating about who their neighbor really was. The religious wanted to know who it was and who was in and who was out. Our word neighbor comes from the word nay, which means we get our word near, and the word boar, which means farmer. A neighbor was literally the farmer whose field or farm was next to yours. All right, a neighbor is someone whose needs I see, whose needs I can meet. The question is not who is my neighbor, but rather am I being neighborly to everyone around me? Am I being neighborly or am I looking for a loophole to claim that I don't have to take care of the needs of someone that's around me? Look beside you at the person, or beside you across the, the way and say, hello neighbor. Look at the person beside you real quick. Hello, neighbor. All right, am I ready and willing to build a relationship and seek to meet the needs of those around me? Am I willing to step out of my comfort zone and do something out of the ordinary to build a relationship? Whose neighbor am I? Do I, do I look for those who are suffering, that are hurting around me and seek to meet their A neighbor is anyone in need that God brings in front of me. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Who's my neighbor? The first two people that walk by, they, they make a point of getting as far away from them as possible. Sometimes in our busy culture and lifestyle, we don't want to be bogged down with anybody else's troubles, and we'll just kind of skirt around them. And what God is really saying is, they need someone to love them. They need someone to care about them. They need someone to invest in them, to pray with them, to put an arm around them, to encourage them and say, you're not in this battle alone. Let me encourage you. God is going to get the victory here. And I, even, I love being a part of a life group, and this week, you know, someone messaged a prayer request about a, a real need in their life, and within minutes, I mean, it was just constant replies, I'm praying for you, I'm so sorry, I, I want to encourage you, I want to lift you up, and, and folks, that's the reality is, we need neighbors around us who will encourage us and sit with us, to weep with us when we weep, to rejoice when we rejoice, to have the heart of compassion and love of the Savior. That's the message of the Good Samaritan. And ultimately, 
we know the last person that comes along, the person that would be least likely to show the love of Jesus because the, the priest and the Levite already came by and you would think they would have love and compassion and yet they were too busy and too preoccupied with their life. And all of a sudden, the Samaritan comes along and says, you know what? Here's my, here's my coat. Here's, here's my donkey. In fact, let me get you to an inn and let me pay for the, the next few nights. And I'm going to be coming back in a few weeks and a few days. And when I come back, if there's anything else this person needs, put it on my tab. I'll take care of it. I'll make sure they're taking care of it. Folks, that's what the love of a neighbor looks like. That's what the love of the father looks like. It's life-giving. In his book, Discover Your Mission, Dave Ferguson recounts reading a doctoral thesis entitled Blessers versus Converters. The researcher looked at two teams of short-term missionaries in Thailand with distinctly different strategies. The team that was referred to as the Blessers went with the intention of simply blessing people in practical ways. The converters went with the sole intention of converting people. And maybe you're like me. As soon as I was reading that this week, I'm sitting here thinking, would I be team blesser or team converter? I mean, I'm real high in the evangelism side, so I'm more on the converter side. And maybe you're thinking, I'm more on the, the blesser side. But I began to read with, with intrigue. The team referred to as blessers went with the intention of simply blessing people in practical ways. The converters were there for the sole intention of converting people. The summary of what they discovered, the blessers had a greater impact than the converters with 50 times as many conversions as the converters. Friends, let's learn. God has called us to to be a blessing, to bless those who are in a mess. And, And what if God meant we're to love our actual neighbors? What if God meant you to cross that aisle and love the person that's just across the aisle from you? (laughs) Believe it or not, I've heard of churches that this side of the church didn't speak to this side. And, And this side certainly didn't speak to that side. I mean, they were on polar opposites and and so they're literally looking at life they're going through life going i love jesus but don't expect me to love that person across the aisle i love jesus but don't expect me to roll up my sleeve and get my hands dirty because i'm not i'm not wanting to involve myself with their struggles god meant we were to love our actual neighbors Say, Pastor, what's the application this morning? How can I get better at what Jesus says truly matters most? How can I be the best neighbor that I can be? And maybe a follow-up question to that is, if we moved out of our neighborhood, would anyone care or would they even notice? I've often heard that about a church. If for whatever reason that church ceased to exist, would the neighborhood around it even notice? You realize in the last three years, the number of churches who have closed their doors for the very last time has risen exponentially. In fact, Dan Matthews was telling me just on Monday of this week, he does a lot of work with Baptist on Mission and he he was getting one of their brand new buses that does all the medical uh, 
appointments and helps people get medical care that they need. And he said, I was, we took in a brand new bus that we're getting ready to, to outfit for those medical missions. And he said, a man came up to me. He said he was, he drove up and he said, he brought the first payment or first installment for what we're doing on the bus. And he said, he handed me a check for $75,000. And he said, it must be exciting to see what God's doing. He said, you know what, that money was from the building fund at our church. He said, we had about $250,000 in a building fund. And he said, last Sunday was our church's last service. There were only eight people left. And we could not afford to stay up. But we had about $250,000 in our building fund and we're putting that money into this bus to help reach more people. And he said, he said, that man looked at me, he said, don't, don't let your church dry up and lose sight of the mission to make disciples. He said, because we waited too long to make that decision that we were going to make the main thing the main thing, loving God and loving others. And he said, man, I... I got that check and I thought to myself, this is exciting. But he said, what a tragedy that a church somehow lost sight of it. He said, I'm excited to be a, a part of a church that is still making disciples and still reaching people, still loving God, still loving other people. And if we moved out of the neighborhood, if we closed our doors for the last time, would the neighborhood even notice around us? The simple acronym BLESS is a helpful guide. Begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. God, how do you want me to bless the people and the places that you've sent me to? Then let's listen with purpose. Take time to listen to the needs and struggles and pain of people around us. Be present. Then eat together. Look for ways to have a cup of coffee, a, a meal, a dessert with someone that's in need that you can bless them and show the love of Jesus. Number four, serve in love. Look for ways to respond to the needs and struggles and pain of others around us. And then lastly, certainly not least, share your story. When the time is right, when you've had opportunity over time to build a relationship and show the love of Jesus share the story of how Jesus has changed your life we can sum our responsibility this way love where you live you see verse 32 Jesus is your right teacher or the, 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 the scribe here is, is, is answering him he says you've truly said he is the one there's no other besides him isn't it funny how this guy is looking at Jesus and said, Jesus, you got that answer right. <laughs> it's kind of like looking at your professor in college and saying, I think you've got a point there. Well, yeah. Verse 33 says, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbors herself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament, which says to obey is better 
than sacrifice. But Jesus responds in verse 34, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He was close, but not in. Think about this. He was good, but not good enough. He was not far, yet he was far away. He was on his way, but he had not yet received Jesus as the only way. Jesus wanted him to see that even though he was close, there was still a divide. There was still something that was separating for him from the kingdom of God. He was religious, but he did not have a saving relationship with Jesus. Church, right answers alone don't get us into heaven. The only way is by repenting of our sin and receiving what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary to be our substitute and our Savior. To be close to the kingdom of His God is not the same as being in the kingdom of God. And church, hear me this morning. You can be an inch from heaven and still go straight to hell. You can be an inch from heaven and still go straight to hell. Jesus is not saying that the way to heaven is to love God and love other people. Why? Because, folks, we all fall short of that. We will never measure up to Jesus and his perfection. That's the whole point. The good news today is God is not far from you. I love how this encounter ends. He says, and after that, no one dared ask him any other questions. Jesus kind of summed it all up. There's no improving on perfection. I wonder if some of you are this morning are not far from the kingdom right now. Could it be that today, right now, is the day that you enter the kingdom of God? The day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see what the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I wonder if you will commit right now to follow Jesus Christ, to love him, and to love your neighbor. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.